You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. Uh, But I want to open up with this, this core truth. We are hardwired, and if you like to write things down, write this down, we are hardwired to look to the Father as the central relationship in our lives. And so guys and girls, two things that I see happening as a therapist. Number one, guys, when this doesn't go right, you tend to feel rejected and angry that dad doesn't give you attention or affection. I've told you guys this in church before, the number one reason men will cry in therapy, tough, rugged men is when they start talking about their dad. It's not their marriage, it's not their kids, it's not their job. They start talking about dad when they were 12, 13 years old. You will see the roughest, toughest, most trucker-looking, bearded man that you've ever met break down in a counseling session when he starts talking about something 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so this is a central relationship for men. It's also a very central relationship for girls. It just manifests a little differently. Girls are a bit craftier you will actually seek someone else out, even subconsciously, who is trying to fill the father void in your life via bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship. Dads, your kids' relational health, especially daughters, is connected to the nurturing that you have or have not given. I was listening to sermon after sermon, just like Greg was at camp. I was, I was dying. I hate being alone, and so I was I spent a lot of time alone because I was, I was the only uh, person to go to Peru that didn't have their spouse with them. And so I, I, it's not that they didn't include me. It's just that, you know, I, I felt a bit lonely. And so I, I'm glad that you feel sorry for me when I say that. But uh, as I was in Peru, I, I would go back to my hotel room and I would listen to sermons of my favorite preachers just like Greg did at camp. And uh, it's just crazy, right? At camp, not all the high schoolers want to hang out with you when you're 30. But uh, uh, we, we, we actually talked a little bit throughout the week, Greg and I, uh, about how that felt, and so we were both listening to sermons, and I listened to this one on parenting, and, and there's a guy that, from the Trinity Church uh, in Arizona that broke something down that I never heard before. He said there's five types of dads, and you can maybe just kind of process this and where you fit into this category as a, as a child. He says there's the tragic dad, and uh, the tragic dad just wasn't around, and it wasn't his fault. He died when you were young, or maybe you never even knew him. He says, number two, there's a, there's a terrible dad, and this is a category of, of probably quite a few men, and there's people in church that definitely had this experience. Uh, he wasn't honest. He ran around on mom. His love was conditional. Uh, selfishness marked his leadership. And I won't have you raise your hands because that's very personal. You know, how many of you had a terrible dad? I'm not going to ask you that publicly. Uh, but you kind of know where you fit in that paradigm. And there's also a tough dad, and I know there's probably more than five, but I think for simplicity, this just makes sense. The tough dad is the alpha, and that's very much a Midwestern type of dad, right? The farmer, the tough guy, the protector. Uh, He always pushed. He was obsessed with your achievement, but for selfish and maybe insecure reasons, he's the guy at the sporting events that's living vicariously through you. You tracking? Now, I know that's none of you. You've never been the tough dad. Uh, But those dads can do a lot of good, and then they can also do some damage when they put too much pressure on. On the flip side, there's the nice dad. Any of you ever grow up with the nice dad? And I, I, it sounds great, right? But I wanted to find that a little bit. The nice dad, everyone loves him. I had the nice dad. Everyone loves him. 
but he didn't necessarily demand respect and he didn't protect well and he didn't lead well because he always said yes and he was very loving and affirming and you know you could go sit on his lap but he didn't lead he didn't like conflict and he didn't like controversy and then uh, this pastor said the fifth type of dad is the ideal dad he's the minority dad he's the good dad He's faithful to mom, he loved you, he led you, he was firm but he was loving, he looked like Jesus, he bought you a Bible at an early age, he was just, he fit the mold and you didn't do things in life that were wrong, not because you necessarily you know, had to follow all the rules or, or in any type of legalism, but you respected him to the point where you didn't wanna disappoint him. This is a dad that looked like Jesus in your life. And so when you think about Jesus, you have this paradigm for how God looks like in a very healthy way because you saw it manifest in your dad's life. Now, unfortunately, although that's the, that is the absolute command of scripture, it's also the minority in our lives. And so the role of a godly father, I just wanna break down a few principles. We're gonna look at scripture together. And the first one I'm gonna start with is this. If you want to be a godly father according to scripture, then it starts first at a theological level. Write it down. You have to, as a man, understand that God is your father first before the dominoes can fall. If you don't have that first domino in place and it doesn't fall over, then the rest of it isn't going to sequentially fall in line. On a theological level, the starting point for being a good dad, being a godly father, is to first understand that God is your father. And here's what's so cool about this. Jesus and God give us, and here's the Trinity, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, from the very beginning, the perfect union, give us this beautiful picture of what God the Father actually looks like and how he loves the Son. He's the good Father. He's the fifth example that we just talked about. There's this beautiful story in Scripture, and if you can turn to your Bibles fast on your phones or whatever that looks like, turn to Matthew 3. I want to show you the first thing we see with Jesus in his earthly ministry and this relationship he has with his Father. And the Bible says this in verse 13. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is it fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, check this out, this is the father-son relationship in perfection. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, underline this in your Bible. If you don't have this underlined yet, take out your Bible right now and underline this. If you're under, online, follow me with this as well. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What had Jesus done so far in his earthly ministry? What has he done? Nothing. The starting point that God operates from with his own son, Jesus Christ, is I love you, I affirm you, I have affection for you, I'm gonna nurture you with words of acceptance. This is my son, his ministry's just starting on earth. Now, we've been together for all eternity. But he's not even close to headed to the cross here. This is year one, not year three. 
There's not a lot of miracles. There's nothing like that going on. He, he's about to go into the wilderness. The first thing the father does on him is bestow upon him genuine, authentic affection. His words could have been deeply theological. He could have, out of the water, said, okay, now here's your game plan. God in this moment could have said anything he wanted to his son, but he says, this is my son. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. I had a chuckism that I actually heard uh, from another pastor at another airport while I was going to my transfer flights, and I thought, this sounds so much like what Pastor Chuck would say. And so he's preaching right now at a church in Peru, but I just want to give him, like, he never said it, but I thought, this, this has to be a chuckism. I heard a guy say this week, we work from the Father's approval, not for it. We work from it. Nothing's been done. We, we haven't earned it. That's grace. That's Christianity. That's what makes Christianity absolutely polar opposite to every other major world religion. We don't work our way up to God. He has already come down to us. We don't work for the Father's approval. We work from it. 189 times in Scripture, the Bible refers to God as the Father. Do you know when the vast majority of those times are? It's in the New Testament. He places such a high value on this relationship between father and son that he actually, in, in his sovereignty, I mean, this is the actual relationship of the Trinity. And so you have to first, if you're gonna be a good dad, you have to first understand who God is and that he is the father, our father who art in heaven. Second thing is this, and just, there's this kind of theological framework for for how I'm building this thing, and then we're gonna move to some father wounds, and we're gonna close this thing out, and it's gonna take a little while. But the second thing is this, good dads, godly dads, dads at New Life that we wanna raise up to reach the next generation that are gonna make sure that the health and vitality of this church is going on for generations to come. Good dads that love Christ pursue the heart of their children. That's what they do. 400 years before Christ, Malachi is writing a few things in four chapters. There's a lot of things that are covered in those four chapters, but it's the last book of the Old Testament, and then there's this 400 years of silence. And the very last thing that God says through Malachi is that the fathers need to turn to the hearts of their children, and the children need to turn to the hearts of their father. In fact, I'm just going to read it to you. The last thing, and I don't know what you know about last things, but if you know, or you know your time is gonna be, you've got one letter left to your child and then you're not gonna talk to him for years and years and years. I would imagine, or if you just, you know, one last thing you wanna say on any given topic, it's gonna to be pretty important. This is the last thing that he says before there's silence. Verse five and six, the very last verses. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I wanna to read to you some stats that came from a, a, a place called Trinity Church in Arizona in 2019. This whole idea of, God, uh, of men shepherding their hearts of their children and being the spiritual leader of their home this is something that has evaporated very quickly. It's an erosion in the church and it's bled in the culture. We look at culture and we blame it. When in reality, we should be setting it. 
The church historically in America has shaped culture and now we're being molded by it. The majority of kids, 2019 statistics, and I think they're either stable or maybe a little worse. Nothing's changed in the positive direction. The majority of kids under the age of 30 are being born to women without men in the home. The leading cause of death amongst small children is abortion. God's promise, I will cause destruction if you don't have your heart for your kids. This is this text of what it means to be a real man. That it starts with men saying, I have an affection for, I have a priority list, and my wife and my kids are at the top of the priority. That I'm not going to just do things to check them off a list, but I'm actually going to have affection for, to have a heart for, the way that translates is, to have an affection for these things that are my top priority. So just a quick word, I know the second service will be more of you, uh, but a quick word to the single women. There's a guy named Matt Chandler that I like to follow, and he made this statement several years ago that I never forgot. Uh, He said to single women who are pursuing the process of marriage and then having future children, he said this about them, and you can maybe see how quickly you get what he's saying. He said, don't pursue boys that can shave. You tracking with that? It's the idea that, that age is just a numerical, it's just a number, but real maturity is based on behavior. And so you can shave and be 30 years old, here's what Chandler's saying, but you can still be, by the decisions that you make and the lifestyle that you lead, you can still be a boy. Don't pursue boys that can shave. It's not a decision. This is what I've been telling some kids in youth group. It's not a decision. It's the decision. This is the decision, using the domino analogy. This is the decision that will then affect all the other decisions. And just as as a counselor, from a counseling perspective as your pastor, I will tell you this, a lot of bad decisions that you make are are really, you can recover from those, maybe not with small consequence, but not with such devastating consequence. When it comes to being with, marrying, and having children with a boy that can shave, you cannot recover. You cannot recover without devastating consequence for your generation and generations to come. And so, so what does it look like to, to marry a man who has an affection and a heart for his children? Here's a key question that you would want to ask. Uh, how do I know if he will lead? If that's his role, how do I know that he's going to lead? Are, are, hear me say this, okay? It's very simple. It's very simple. Is he leading now? Well, you're like, he's only 16 or 17 years. I don't care. I've got my own kids. Are, is he leading now because he's giving you the best of what he'll ever give you when he's trying to court you and date you and woo you? Right? He's in the job interview now. If he's not doing these things now, then you're absolutely delusional to think that when he's 35 years old and coming home from a long day at work that he's gonna have this ability to just lead well when he's not in the Bible, when he's not obeying God's word, when he's not doing the things that God's called him to do that somehow, miraculously, you're gonna snap your fingers and wake up in a dream. It's probably gonna look more like a nightmare. Boys that can shave don't value hard work. They don't value authentic community. They don't lead in their local church and they're not servants. I'm just gonna keep going, this one's intense. The average age of pornography use is 12 years old and the delayed 
marital rate amongst men is in their mid-30s now. So for 20 years before they ever say I do, they've already been you know, sexually addicted to so many things in their life that they're boys that can shave. It is hard to find a good man. Do you know why that saying exists? Because it's hard to find a good man. For the first time ever in history, and then I'll be done with this tangent, but you need to hear this. For the first time ever in history, girls are more likely to go to college than boys. Girls are more likely to get their driver's license first than boys. And any given Sunday, there's 11 to 13 million, I already told you this, but I'm going to say it again, more women in church on any given Sunday than men. God's calling us to lead our home, to be a man, to pursue the heart of our children. And when this happens, here's, here's the adverse effect. When this happens, here's the flip side of it. When this happens, the church explodes. You want to see a church grow? Get the men on fire for Jesus. Those are just the facts. Number three, what does it look like to be a god, godly father? And this is where it applies to even if you're not a dad or you have no biological children. Here's the gospel. Here's the church. This happened in my own life. I'm passionate about this one. Someone did this for me. In fact, two or three people have done this for me in my life because I lost my father a while ago. Be a father to the fatherless. This is the church. This is what separates us. If you're a single mom in church, praise God that you're here. We love you. Do you have a, a place for this? And God's going to use you in a powerful way, and he's going to allow you to do things because of your unique situation that maybe wouldn't be possible if you weren't in your situation. He is going to use you in a very powerful way. But also know this. If you are following Christ and you're going to a biblical church, there should be men in the church that you trust that fill some of that role in a very platonic sense where they're mentoring children in the church that don't have dads. In this spiritual pandemic, men, we have to be doing this. We have to be doing this, to be a father to the fatherless. This was existing in the New Testament church. Paul actually addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 14, he says this. He says, I don't write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Check out this verse. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. He says in the book of Philippians, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul is being a spiritual father to the fatherless. There's this church that's being formed. There's all sorts of bad stuff going on in the Corinthian church. And he's saying, man, that people have not had this model to them. And so I'm going to step up and I'm going to be a spiritual father to the fatherless. And now 2,000 years later, the command for the Corinthian church is just for us. I urge you, be imitators of me. I was 30 years old. My dad died and I didn't see it coming. And I always had kind of this father wound, self-proclaimed, I have daddy issues. Okay? And then the God put people in my life strategically, even in this church, there's a couple of people that are just like fathers to me. One specifically, he's just like a dad to me. And that really intensified when I lost my own dad as a youth pastor. But when I was 20 years old, there were already some problems brewing. In fact, my teenage years, I just wasn't real bonded to him, even though I always loved him. And I remember when I fell for Anne, I was drawn to her right away. So if, if you don't know my wife, I'm, she's not even here. I'm not even like trying to get some extra credit here. Second service, I'm going to lay it on thick, right? But uh, I was drawn to her right away. She, she had a strength to her that I was, there's something way more attractive about a strong woman than a pushover, okay, for me. 
psychoanalyze it, that's the way I'm wired. And so she had a strength to her that I was very attracted to, and I was also just attracted to her because I'm a man and she's pretty. But uh, I, I was really getting close to her, and then I went home for Easter, and, th- and it sealed the deal for me. And, and I did something really mature in Bible college. They say ring by spring, and, and I started dating her in January of, of 2000, and by February, I, I basically told her I was going to marry her, and I didn't have a job, so, you know, <laughs> boys that can shave, right? And so, but then I went home to meet her family, and her dad, uh, who's probably listening online right now, is just one of the biggest mentor in my life. He was, I just knew right away, this guy is different, and it made things so much more intense. Like, it was such an affirmation, yes, this is the woman God has for me, and for the last 21 years, this guy's been mentoring me in my life. A lot of my isms, a lot of my ways of thinking, a lot of my, you know, helicopter parenting and being overly involved in my kid's life that some of the pastors make fun of me for, a lot of it comes from my father-in-law, Austin, who's been a dad to me. And I watched him do it, and then I watched all three of his kids serve the Lord, and I thought, well, I think he's on to something. He was being a father to the fatherless. I texted him this morning. I just said, I just want you to know how much you mean to me, how much I love you, and how much I appreciate the fact that you took on this role for me at a young age. I hope it's paid dividends. That's the command of Scripture. That's just a simple framework. What does it look like to be a godly father? What does it look like to serve the Lord in this area of your life? And I know you could probably bring 10 or 12 things to the table, but my experience pastoring this church for a while now are these are the core tenets. And so I want to ask you, fathers, how are you measuring up to this standard? When's the last time you told your kids you loved them? When's the last time you opened the Bible with them? When's the last time you led them well? Are you just depending on, I do, and I'm a hard worker, or are you completely vested in the process because it's your primary responsibility? So now here's the second half. Here's where Peru comes into play. Here's where my heart is really drawn to these ideas and why I changed directions on a Friday and text the staff and said, we need different notes. It's gonna take me a while. I'm going a different direction. What do you do when this hasn't worked out for you? What do you do when you're like your pastor, or your lead pastor, and you have some daddy issues? I, I just want to share a few things that, that are on my heart that have been true in my life, and, and I want you to absorb them. The first one, you can write it down, and maybe you can tell it to yourself this week. This one's fundamentally true, and I think if we are to be honest, this would be pretty impactful. But the first one is this, just look at me when I tell you this, as a, as a counselor, as a pastor, as someone who cares about you, it genuinely, 100 million percent, no matter what you went through with your dad, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Your dad's lack of affection is not your fault. Your dad leaving the home at an early age is not your fault. Your dad leaving your mom, cheating on your mom, is not your fault. Your dad's harsh words to you, whatever your story is. And now some of you are going, that wasn't my story at all. But just, just stay with me because it's, it's real. Your dad's lack of affection, your dad's harsh words, it's not your fault. At a certain age, your dad decided to be a biological father. And the process was pretty simple and pretty fun. And it didn't last very long but then he had no ability to parent after that because he was still a kid himself. 
and he's carrying in probably, and just psychoanalyzing the dad that I don't even know, he's probably carrying some wounds from his own childhood, and he's not thinking about you, and his sin is between God and himself, and the ramifications of that sin, because he was designed to be a leader in your life, have been some deep father wounds, some daddy issues that you've been carrying with you for year after year after year, but I want you to hear me say this again, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. There's a story I want to share with you real quick. I was, I was praying. I told the leadership team this this morning. You go to Peru. They're, they're a bit more charismatic than us. We should probably do this more, but it's a standard operating procedure for them. I, I was preaching, and then after the message, the people line up for prayer. And so I had a translator with me. In fact, actually, I didn't even preach that night. Osmar did. But I had a translator with me, and they wanted me to go pray for the people that wanted prayer. And so I kind of went through the line, and there was a lot of teenagers And there was this girl, maybe 13, 14 years old, and honestly, you could call a prophetic word to it, but really it's just a statistical almost certainty that this is her story. Uh, She's sitting up there, and she's smiling. Nothing really appears to be wrong, but I started praying for this girl, 13 or 14 years old, and this is what I prayed through the translation. I'm assuming it got through accurately. I said, Lord, I lift this girl up to you, and I pray for her relationship with her father. And I said this, I pray that she will prepare her heart for a future that is more godly than her past and that she finds a godly husband when she's older that doesn't treat her like her dad did. Look at me, she absolutely lost it. She lost it. She was just shaking. Why? Because these father wounds are real. She's carrying this baggage. I don't even know what it is. I can maybe assume statistically that I know what it is. But she's carrying these wounds that if she doesn't bring to the cross will still be prevalent in her life at 20, 30, 40 years old, generation after generation, this is still going to be going on in her life. And although she's repulsed by some things that happened with her dad, statistically, she's most likely to find someone just like him. It's not her fault. Number two, if you have these dad wounds because things haven't gone according to Scripture, Here's just a simple framework. God is a good father. And so as you worship the good father, as you build intimacy with the good father, then you'll know the values to look for in a future husband or you know, a future father. Because God himself is a good father. That's that relationship with Jesus and God that we just talked about a few minutes ago. Here's something I heard. It's a bit of a, you know, It's a bit of a psychological mumble-jumble. Take it for what it's worth. I'm not saying I can prove it in Scripture, but I've definitely seen it to be true. Your view of your earthly father, your view of God is a projection or rejection of your earthly father. Just shake your heads. How many of you think that's true, just hearing that? Your view of God is either a projection or a rejection of your earthly father. And so if earthly dad is harsh, then maybe you see God himself as harsh. If your earthly father is absent, then you see God as absent. If your earthly dad is loving but lacks boundaries, then you see God as loving, but you don't have to really obey him. If your earthly father's love is conditional, then you see God's love as conditional, and this whole idea of grace becomes incredibly difficult to process. Your view of God is a projection or a rejection of your earthly father. But God is a good father. 
He's a good father. And here's my last closing challenge. I don't know when this will happen. Maybe God is calling you to do this right now. I would encourage you, if he is, to, to operate in this. But this is me on a plane, writing this down on my phone, Thursday night. I knew I was going to say this to you. I just want to challenge you with this. Number three, daddy issues. Have you forgiven your dad? Maybe you've been a Christian six months now. God's doing something in your life. Maybe you've been a Christian 20 years and you're just kind of, you're hearing me say these things and uh, your story is that he left you at an early age or he was always kind of around but not really around. Have you forgiven, no matter your circumstance, maybe he did some things to you that I can't even imagine. Have you, when you go to the, the Lord in your heart, have you, can you say with all authenticity that you've forgiven him? Why is that so important? Forgiving your earthly father draws you closer to your heavenly father. In fact, the Bible's command clearly in scripture is just very simple, to forgive. If you don't forgive your, earth, or your earthly father, it's gonna hold you at an arm's distance from an intimate relationship with God, and what you're telling God is this, and this is what we do, this is what trauma does. Trauma compartmentalizes things. It says, okay, I've got this area of my life over here. I haven't worried about this in four or five years. I know that if I start unpacking these things, it's gonna create feelings in me that I don't want to exist anymore. What trauma does is it puts things in categories, and some things you just learn are off limits. But what trauma is telling you and what it's saying when you're not willing to go there is I'm not gonna go there because I don't trust God enough with this area of my heart. He can have everything else, but I'm not going there because it was absolutely too much. This is one of those deals, just because this is an incredibly vulnerable Sunday for me, this is one of those deals for me that I think I've done this and then something will happen and I realize I'm not as far along in the process as I thought I was. Could you guys relate to that? You awake? This is a serious sermon. You should be definitely paying. You're all looking at me, so I think you're awake. Like you, you think you've given something to the Lord, and then something in your heart is, is kind of you, like you poke the bear, and it, it awakens, and you realize, oh my gosh, I have more work to do in this area of my life than I thought I did. Are you tracking? That, that's my story. Last night, uh, we did this thing, maybe because I came back from Peru, but um, there was a kid in the youth group, one of my, my son's friends that was there last night. I, don't, I, don't, I think he, he saw this, but uh, we started busting out the, the baby pictures of my oldest son. And so my son's friend Samson was just loving it because he's like, look at how dumb he looked. But uh, we were looking at these pictures, and they were just goofy, goofy pictures. Like uh, one of the pictures is my, my oldest um, came downstairs with Thomas the Train underwear on his head. And I thought, man, that's going to be so great when he's 18 to embarrass him with. And so we still have that photo. And I didn't know we had it, but Anne was showing, uh, showing that photo off. And then, and then we found these other pictures. It was his baby book. We found these other pictures of when he was a child. And then we saw my dad in one of them. And it, maybe because it's, I knew I was going to preach this, but it, it just kind of got me. And I said to Anne, I said, look at how old he looks. He's like eight years older than me in this picture. Look at how old he looks. And, and there was this thing in my heart where I've dealt with this for years is he could have lived so much longer. And now that my kids are getting older and it won't be too long before they have kids themselves, you know, maybe eight, ten years from now, I, I see this thing passing, this torch passing and I think to myself from time to time, how could he make those decisions? Look at how much he missed out on, and the feeling behind it is rejection. That somehow he rejected me 
as a result of his own bad forgiveness. And so the thoughts in my head are this. He was so selfish. He didn't even get to see my kids grow up. He was in his mid-50s, and he, and he went on to be with the Lord. It could have been so different. And the reality of it is this. I'm having all of these feelings, and I thought I'd forgiven him. I think I've said publicly in church before, I've forgiven my dad, and God's revealing in my heart, there's things that you have not forgiven him for. Because as soon as I see that picture of him, I have this emotional connection to it, and it's not butterflies, it's disappointment, it's these feelings of rejection. God's working on my heart, and I just want to challenge you with that. That my dad, and I don't know your story, my dad had demons in his life that had nothing to do with me. Like at no point in my dad's struggle was he going, you know what I really want to do is I want to hurt Rodney as a teenager. He's just living his life and doing his things at doing the things that he was doing and it got out of hand and it didn't go well and then he died of alcoholism. It, it didn't have much to do with me and I want to challenge you with that. A lot of the things that you're harboring towards your dad, you think that they are central to your own story in the sense that he was doing them to you but he was sinning against God and you were the byproduct. Have you forgiven your earthly father, because if you have not, it's keeping you at an arm's distance from what God wants to do in your life in an intimate relationship with him. How can you forgive your dad after all the things that he did to you with such deep feelings of resentment and rejection in your life? It's the gospel. Jesus was despised and rejected. Jesus endured the cross. Jesus made a way for you to have that relationship with the heavenly father where he says to you as your child in Christ, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Christ's righteousness placed on you and because Christ is in you and he's operating through you, you can forgive any relationship on this planet, no matter how bad. That's the gospel. If that's not true, the gospel's not true. If that's not true, the promises of God are not true. If that's not true, then you have some real problems in your life because you have no way to overcome those feelings that I just described to you for the last 30 minutes. But the good news of the gospel is this. It is true. The work of the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. When he rose from death, he gave you new life. Dads, the word for you this morning is it's not too late. Your kids are absolutely craving, even if they're in high school and acting like they want nothing to do with you, they are craving an intimate relationship with the Father. God wired them in this way that things can change. Your connection to your wife and kids can bring emotional security to your family. Repentance can change things. We've seen it happen in this church. The story of the gospel is a story of redemption. The story of the gospel is a story of transformation. Jesus wants to use, look at me, I'm closing, this church in this season to raise up godly men to lead their families to see the community change. If you don't believe that, then we have a problem. Because if you don't believe that, you don't believe the gospel. God is going to use the men at New Life we already have amazing women, and we have amazing men too. I, I don't want to misrepresent what I'm trying to say, but I feel like from the Lord, God is going to use men to show a different path, and it's going to change things. We can forgive our dads. We forgive our peripheral relationships because Christ first forgave us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I would, I would ask you, Lord, that you would use this message 
Then maybe it's even a message because these are things that I've heard from, from people that I respect that people would go back and listen to and hear it a couple of times to get some of these things to sink in. We pray for these fractured relationships that they'd be made, they'd bring healing, that they would see restoration. But ultimately, no matter what happens in those relationships, that our relationship with you would not only stay intact, but it would thrive. That we would see you as a good father. We would see you as a loving father who accepts us before we do anything to win your approval. Thank you for loving us. We want to serve you, obey you, and follow you all the days of our life. We pray this in your name, and everybody said, amen.